Welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings and experiences of COVID, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham and I co-host this podcast with my friend Sylvia. This podcast is not for profit, it will never be for profit and we are interested in hearing people's real views. We never censor and we are interested in all perspectives. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we speak to William Philip, who was a medical doctor before being ordained as a minister of the Christian faith. He preaches in Glasgow Tron Church. He came to my attention um, when he took the Scottish Government to court in a judicial review this year about their the restrictions which were placed on people in Scotland during the second wave of the pandemic relating to worship. And these were ruled by Lord Brady to be unlawful. We spoke to him today just shortly after the shame, or otherwise, of being censored by YouTube for a video in which he discussed perfectly rationally the child vaccination programme for COVID-19. We had a lovely chat with him. It was very interesting to get the religious perspective and we hope you enjoy the conversation. So today is the 17th of June 2021 and we are speaking to Dr, uh, Reverend Dr William Philip from Tron Church in Glasgow. Sylvia's here with me. Hello, Sylvia. Hello, Christine. And hello, William. Hi there. Good to be with you. Well, we're really pleased to have you on our podcast, William. Um, I believe this week you had a video taken down. Yes. I mean, that sounds a bit uh, dramatic, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> I, was, I was asked to do a video discussion with um, Dr. Ros Jones, a retired paediatrician who many people probably heard on the on the media, and with another minister, Jamie Franklin, who hosts the Irreverend podcast. And we were asked to do a, a, a discussion about the ethics of um, vaccinating children for COVID. And um, I think it was a very good discussion, actually. And Lots of interesting points brought out. I was rather shocked to hear that I think within an hour, less than an hour of it being posted on YouTube. 20 minutes. It was 20 minutes. minutes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't realised I was quite such a radical or such a dangerous person. Um, And having listened to it again, I still can't quite work out what it was, unless it was simply that anything with the word vaccine and expressing concern of any kind is uh, is now um <laughs> under censorship in this country which if it is is really quite a quite a frightening thing yeah i had a video deleted from youtube um myself i have my own youtube channel and i put up a video of my speech at the media gathering in edinburgh on the um and it got deleted because it, it said that, you know, this is your first strike, you were delivering medical misinformation. So I wrote to them and said, please tell me where I'm misinformed because every single thing that I said in my speech was fact or clearly stated as opinion. And carefully researched as well. And carefully researched. 
so some snooty person got back to me and said, well, do they just violated our community guidelines? And I said, no, no, I want to know, please. It's a 17 minute video. I want you to tell me where I'm misinformed. And they then got back to me and said, oh, we're terribly sorry. There's no misinformation in your speech. We've put the video back up. <laughs> now, well, I don't know. I don't know whether Hart will be. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. I don't know whether Hart will be doing that, uh, but I mean, it, there's really nothing in it at all that uh, <laughs> ought to be censored. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, these are things that have to be heard and are not being heard and how, talked about. How do, you, how do you feel about being censored in this way? Because well, I'm not entirely surprised because um, growing censorship has been one of the features of this last year. Um, and... I think it was one of the first things that um, warned me about, um, well, I can only call them really quite sinister, immoral forces, which seem to be at work um, all through this whole business of COVID. Uh, I mean, I was listening to highly eminent scientists, Nobel Prize winners, uh, world experts in epidemiology, um, some of the most published uh, medical scientists in the world and indeed in history and all of a sudden um, they're being censored they're certainly not being allowed on the mainstream media um, I mean this is back a year ago and then they're being uh, smeared <laughs> and slandered by yeah. people who are infinitely inferior to them in their knowledge and certainly in their um, <laughs> in, in, in their manners um, and uh, that sent up a very strong warning signal to me and actually that was what made me then uh, think if I want to find out what's really going on here I, I, I'm not going to find it in the mainstream media channels but I have to search out these uh, these alternative uh, places pe people who will actually allow such voices to be heard so that that spectre of censorship is a very concerning thing it's very dangerous to democracy um, it, it's created almost an impossibility to have rational argument and disagreement. Everything's yeah. been polarised to the extent that it's been turned into a, a matter of good and evil. Um, the evil people are censored, although in fact, the way it seems to me is that uh, the polarity is the other way around, actually. It's those who are speaking well, truth who are being censored and, uh, and those who are speaking lies who are censoring them. And that is very, very concerning. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it seems like those who are being censored seem to have only but the best of intentions and are concerned for fellow humans. And the fact that they're being censored, to me, as you say, it's been growing over the last year, but it's still a shock to me that this is happening to me in the United Kingdom. You know, I always thought this was the terrain of further flung countries with dictatorial style leadership, it's really a shock even now to mm -hmm. me that that's happening here. And I find that I, like when my video was sent, I've been censored several times on social media now, in fact, many times, but every time it feels horrible. You know, it really feels like an attack. It makes you feel really uncomfortable and, I think because I am a responsible person and I don't want to misinform people, definitely not. 
Well, um, perhaps it, perhaps it um, surprises me a little less than it surprises you because, um, well, look, I'm a Christian minister and I'm in the business of um, sp speaking spiritual truth and that is very often unpopular. Um, and uh, the, the example we see in, in Jesus Christ is exactly that. Um, he, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, I think it is, where he's, talking to people he's saying you know I, I i i will show you the truth and the truth will set you free so um but then he is greatly opposed by many who don't want to hear the truth because it's uncomfortable it um it intrudes upon what they want to think and what they want to do and therefore uh, the truth is very often rejected and so um it's not surprising to me uh, that truth should be opposed because you know there's something deep in the human heart that is is twisted and as a christian preacher i would you know have to say that that's basic to humanity there's a there's a twisting of the truth there's a turning of truth into lies that's the that's the that's what the christian worldview would tell us um one of the prophets says the heart is deceitful above all things so people have a great capacity to deceive themselves and to want to deceive themselves and others um and the truth is very the truth is very unpleasant uh, to them and therefore there's a great desire to, to silence it but you're absolutely right um the the freedoms that we have known in our society are entirely related to the fact that we have uh, cherished the desire for truth and um where truth dies freedom dies and that's why we should be so concerned about this yeah absolutely and i i find what you um, interesting because some questioning myself, am I being deceived? You know, I go back to basics and I go back over my research and, you know, I look at the, the cross section. I think, have I got this right? Am I the one that's got this wrong? Um, I don't want to be the person who just assumes I'm in the right. And I think that's something we should all be doing. We should all always be sort of double checking. Is what you're thinking the right thing, really? Well, that is the, the of course, is the truly scientific method. And, you know, modern modern science <laughs> grew, grew out of um, Christian foundations. I mean, our universities, the very name university means all all truths. And the understanding was that all truth is God's truth and therefore uh the it's a right quest to seek truth um, and 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 to do so with humility because we understand that we are finite um and only god is infinite so true science um proceeds humbly and it proceeds by investigating formulating hypotheses but then because it's humble um seeking to say well am i right and so we must try and disprove this hypothesis and therefore real science welcomes uh, op opposing views criticism alternative viewpoints discussion and so on um, and that's how um you root out error and you do find that there's confidence in truth and what worries me so much is that um <laughs> the science uh, capital letters uh, which is the great authority now is it's become not a a method of inquiry and not a humble quest for truth but it's become a dogmatic assertion of authority uh, that cannot be questioned and you know the, the it's very striking to me that those who are um dissenting voices those who are questioning voices nearly all 
are people who have nothing to gain from it other than opprobrium. I mean, they're not on very fat salaries paid by the government. Um, they're, most of them are, are volunteers and seeking to do this out of a, out of a, a, a sense of duty. They've nothing to gain other than to be slandered and smeared. And that, well, that tells you a lot. Yeah, that's us. Me and Sylvia and uh, Sylvia and I, um, like when I, I mean, I've had quite vicious criticism at times, particularly, I don't know about you, Sylvia, maybe I'm just not aware of yours as much as I'm of my own. Well, but no, it's, I have. <laughs> it, it's horrible because especially, it's horrible when it's people you know, and it's especially, well, that's especially horrible, but it's also really unpleasant when you find out there's people out there who are like writing things about you and making up all this stuff. I'm just, I'm not paid for any of the stuff that I do. And I gain absolutely nothing from it whatsoever. Yeah. And all yes. I get is a load of hassle. And by contrast, I mean, you know, look, we, we need to be, we, we, we want to be charitable. And um, I don't want to attribute to the government and to, you know, um, scientific advice and all that. I don't want to attribute bad motives. Although I have to say, sometimes, you know, that is becoming difficult in some cases. But um, they, you know, they're trying to do their best, perhaps. But um, are they really allowing themselves to be open to the sorts of criticism that they need? You know, speaking truth to power is a difficult thing. And, and you know, it's very difficult to say something that isn't well received, especially when your job depends upon it. And mm -hmm. it's very hard for governments and for those in power to get um, real proper unbiased advice or contrary opinions because people don't want to step out of line. And, you know, I think the establishment has closed ranks in, in so many different levels. I mean, one of the things that has surprised me is just how few um, doctors and scientists have, have been willing to speak out. And it's almost always those who are retired or who are sort of in some way independent, not employed in the NHS or other public institutions and I think one of the reasons for that must simply be that a there's enormous group think um, nobody wants to be the odd one out and b there's genuine fear of uh, of well if not direct reprisals then you know cold shouldering and I mean I've worked I was a doctor before I was in uh, in Christian ministry full-time and I mean I know I know what it was like to be a junior doctor and to know that you needed to have the patronage of seniors you needed to not get on the wrong side get a bad name have a black mark and that's a very powerful force and you know for all of these reasons it's led to a kind of suppressing of the proper levels of uh inquiry and discussion and and and, and, and challenging that must be necessary in a in a very complicated and difficult situation like this and i think the government has as far as I can see, um, denied itself some of the help that really it needs um, because of that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you obviously were a doctor and now you are a Christian minister. Do you think your background is also what made you question the mainstream narrative? Um, 
I think probably that so um, because there were so many things that just seemed to defy basic medical understanding and science. I mean, uh, right back uh, over a year ago, I remember listening to some of our chief medical people uh, when there was all the panic going on in Italy and, and they were talking straightforward sense. They were talking about doing things and handling things in the way that pandemics have always been handled in the modern era. They were talking about instituting you know, the WHO plans that were in place and that, you know, this will be sadly a, a disease that will cause fatalities. It's mostly going to be in the elder or vulnerable. Others will, you know, have to get ill and have a few days off and, you know, we'll get through this and that's how it all happens. And I thought, well, that's, that's perfectly sensible. I'm glad we've got sane people in charge here. And then what struck me so forcibly was how suddenly everything completely changed and went in a totally different direction. And I just could not understand that. And then when I saw it was all based on modeling, particularly coming from Imperial College and the Ferguson team and so on, um, whose track record, it has to be said, is absolutely abysmal. I mean, I remember the <laughs> ghastly business of the, of the uh, foot and mouth disease. And I remember this, the farmers who committed suicide having to having to destroy all their beasts and all that. that. That was an absolute calamity. Same with BSE and all the rest of it. And I just thought this is not, this is not rational. This is not what's happened here. Normal, sensible epidemiology has been thrown out of the window. Yeah. And, and there've been so many things through it that, that, that are like that, all the stuff about variants and so on. I mean, you know, by the time we had the first scary variant, the, the Kent variant or whatever it was, now, there'd already been thousands of variants of this thing. I mean, that's just what happens with viruses. And the truth is that as they mutate, they mutate themselves out of virulence and out of uh, severity. And that's how, they, that's how they die. I mean, there were so many things that just fly in the face of what, you know, anybody studying for their second MB exams knows, never mind experienced epidemiologists, that I just thought well, there's something very, very wrong here. Yeah. And I mean... I noticed all those things and I don't even have a science degree. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm just a sort of armchair scientist who likes looking at things. And I, I've always thought it was a great pity that Boris didn't just hold his nerve when he, he said, we're, we're going for herd immunity. Um, because at that point I thought, well, I'm, I'm really glad that we're kind of going down this road. I, you know, I intended on maybe not going out as much, being a bit more cautious, but I didn't intend on seeing absolutely nobody and I didn't intend on not seeing my family. Um, and, you know, as somebody who studied law, as soon as you're not allowed to see your family, the, the hairs on the back of my neck kind of stand up and go, oh, hang on, we all have a human right to a private family life and to, to meddle in that in any sense is actually evil and I, I don't care what anybody says. Well I think that I mean there have been there have been so many things in this that um, there just seems to be no doubt in my mind that the the cure has been made far far worse than the disease. I mean, you know, I'm, there's about 500 folk in in my church uh, in in Glasgow. We have a number of different congregations, including a, a 
a Farsi-speaking congregation, largely um, Iranian asylum seekers. We've got students, we've got families, we've got old people, we've got the entire range. It's like a microcosm of the city. Yeah. And if there had been a media blackout this last year and nobody had said anything and nobody had ever heard the word coronavirus, and you were to ask me, you know, has there been a devastating epidemic this past year? I'd have looked at you as if you were mad because I've seen absolutely none of that in that in my entire congregation or really in anybody that any of them knows. We've had a few folk who had the flu for a few weeks. We had quite a lot of folk who were ill with flu <clears throat> last January and February before COVID was a thing um, among the students in particular, including my own daughters. Um, but nothing in the way of serious illness. Nobody has died of COVID. Nobody has been seriously ill or hospitalised with COVID. I wouldn't have even known there had been a, a, anything going on. Whereas, if you'd asked me three winters ago uh, how things going this winter, I'd have said, well, we've got a terrible flu epidemic this year because I've had several people nearly died. I've got somebody in the intensive care unit. And, uh, you know, there were several people who were polexed with um, uh, with flu and then with very, very serious kind of post-viral fatigue that took them many months to get over. One of my colleagues was was not back at work for about four or five months. So not knowing anything, I would have said to you a few years ago, we had a really bad, bad year. Mm -hmm. And I reckon that with a sort of sample size of 500, which is, you know, probably 1% of the city or something like that, I, I could give you a fairly accurate estimate. Just haven't seen it this year. Well, I'll tell you what I have seen. I've seen people with pulmonary embolisms uh, nearly dying because they've been stuck at home getting no exercise and sitting in their chair and um, uh, you know, and, and too scared to go out lest they catch COVID, ending up hospitalised and nearly dying. I've seen somebody with a heart attack who would have died had I not forced them to get an ambulance and get into hospital because they'd phoned up several times and had been told, oh, no, we can't see you for months because of COVID. I've seen people with operations um, postponed. Uh, I've just been talking to somebody recently who, in my view, is in serious danger of, of losing a limb because um, they've had no attention for the diabetes over the last two years, couldn't get hold of their GP, ending up having to have urgent surgery. I've seen a welter of pathology right across the spectrum, and that has not been caused by COVID. That has been caused by the absolute shutdown of the NHS to anything mm -hmm. else at all in the past year. And I think that is absolutely scandalous. I suppose to play the devil's advocate here, you could, the people, Susan Mickey, for example, one of my favourite people. Really? <laughs> she would say that you haven't seen anybody die of COVID because of lockdown. And that all those people who suffered those lockdown-induced miseries, you know, you would have seen an awful lot more people die of COVID if we hadn't locked down. Well, I'm afraid that I I just don't believe that for one minute. I think there's no evidence for that. In fact, I think there's vast accumulating evidence to the contrary from all kinds of countries around the world. In any I case, the fact is the vast majority of people who have died of COVID um, in this country have died in uh, nursing homes and lockdowns made absolutely no, dis no difference. No. You could lock up everybody else and it wouldn't make any difference to that. They've died with nosocomial infections. That is, they've caught it in hospital um when they've gone into hospital um and and none of these things have been affected by lockdowns it's just it, it's it just doesn't it just doesn't wash i mean the evidence for that is just asserted if it's you, yeah i know 
it's just assertion and it's uh, it does you know it in future it will come out it will be impossible to maintain that narrative in future yeah i hope so um and one of the one of the sort of philosophical issues with that kind of argument that i just find absolutely morally repugnant is that to me there's actually quite a big difference between somebody catching a virus like SARS-CoV-2 and developing COVID and dying to somebody dying because they can't get medical treatment. The second one, to me, is a crime. <laughs> the first one is an unfortunate natural accident. You know, I, I've never, I've, I think that the, something very strange has happened in the medical institutions that they seem to think that it's acceptable for people to die as sort of collateral damage to try and prevent a natural infection. It's really odd. I, really... I, mean, I, I think it's not, it's not unreasonable uh, uh, to, to, I mean, I think that I think the justification for the for the first lockdown was that, look, we think our hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. We think that there will be people who die because they can't get medical treatment and we don't want that. So I think, to be fair, that is not unreasonable. I think that at that stage in the in the in the panic and in the kind of fog of it all. Yeah. I can I can forgive that <laughs> three weeks to save the NHS and so on if it was that. And but but. But that is hardened into an, an entirely different philosophy. And I think there's multiple factors to it. But, you know, politically, um, to be frank, the government doesn't care if people die of anything else at all because they won't be blamed for it, they think. But they do care for people dying of uh, COVID or even with a positive test with COVID because they will be blamed for that. I think that um, they, they are victims of their own fear-mongering because people have become so obsessed with COVID that um you know the nhs and everybody else cares about that more than about anything else which i think is 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 a huge problem so i, th I think there are all kinds of reasons why why that has happened but also just the, the rational argument i mean th there was that tv debate wasn't there with with jonathan sumption where he was so hammered for simply trying to make the fairly obvious point that look you know, if if people who are dying of this are already over the average age of death, um, you know, the COVID epidemic is not actually reducing the the the, the 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 mortality of the population. It's just it's just bringing forward by a little time people who are, you know, very frail or very elderly and whose time is coming. And I think the the, the narrative seems to have kind of become that we can stop people dying or that anybody dying at any age is a tragedy. You know, you never hear about somebody, you never hear somebody, some, those who have died of COVID. It's always those who have sadly died. It's always become one word, sadly died. Tragically. Or tragically tragic. died. Well, That's driven me absolutely nuts, this every death is tragic. Yeah, no, it's no, not actually, sorry. It is not, a, it is not in any way to be... Um, uh, lacking compassion or being scornful of the aged or any of these things to make the simple point that, you know, we are mortal. <laughs> and, you know, the Bible says three score years and ten. Or if you're, uh, if by good fortune, four score. Well, you know, 
every single person virtually who's dying of COVID uh, in numbers in the world, certainly in the Western world, has already had their four score years. They're among the most privileged generations in history to have lived that long. Um, and so to die at that age is not an absolute tragedy. It's a it's a part of life. It's what and to die of that in a nursing home. I mean, it, it, it sounds callous and that's why it's hard, isn't it, to discuss this. But nobody comes nobody goes into a nursing home for a couple of years and then bounces out again for another 10 years of life. I mean, every single person who goes into a nursing home comes out of that nursing home in the end in a coffin. I mean, the average lifespan of people in nursing homes in this country is just over two years. Um, and by that token, those who have supposedly survived COVID have had those last two years virtually now completely in solitary confinement, utterly devoid of any human contact, away from their families. Um, you know, that is just that is just so that inhumane and awful. That is tragic. To be there is in, a tragedy. To be left like that. And, you know, I'm speaking as somebody whose great aunt is in a home um, at the other end of the country from me. But it's it breaks my heart to be her in her home and we're unable to see her. You know, it, we've been able to wave at her window you know, I'm I'm not going to travel three hours to wave at somebody through a window. Um, and in any event, she's confused if you go to the window because she's thinking, why aren't you coming in? Come in. Come and see yeah. me. Absolutely. And that is just that, you know, that's been right across the board. I mean, I, I think that it's not just those in nursing homes, but I think that the people, everybody's suffered through lockdown, but I think that the, the, the elderly and the young have suffered the most. Um, I would say that the vast majority of uh, of elderly folk, and particularly those who are perhaps living on their own, have have deteriorated in their physical and mental health, and just in every way uh, through lockdown. Um, and I think the very youngest kids, um, especially with all the disruption to school and all this dreadful mask wearing in schools and so on, I think have have, you know, it's going to take years, maybe decades, for the for for the effects of all of this to <clears throat> to show up in their, you know, in their psychology. I, I, I'm very worried about that, and that's one of the reasons actually why, you know, in our church certainly and also with others, we pushed very very hard. To get people back meeting in person as soon as as soon as possible. I mean, at this time last year, before this time, I was constantly in, in writing letters to MSPs and uh, and as many as possible to try and get the churches back open again. And then, and then tragically, in uh, at Christmas time, when in Scotland um, we were forced, uh, well, cr Christian worship was criminalised. It wasn't just shutting church buildings. Two people meeting together in a park. Uh, to pray it was a criminal offence in this country when in the entire rest of the United Kingdom uh, churches were open with unrestricted numbers along with sort of fairly sensible distancing so we that's why I along with some other colleagues ended up taking the Scottish government to judicial review because it was it was so obviously an unlawful thing to be doing um, on all kinds of different grounds on the basic yeah. constitutional rights as well as human rights and and we won and yeah. um, 
we we pushed for that not because we wanted to make a the last thing i want to be doing is getting involved in 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 politics in that way but because it was crucial for people's well-being um for their physical and mental well-being but my major concern of course is not just with that but with spiritual well-being because eternal life is even more important infinitely more important than, than mortal life and so um you know but 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 these so many of these fundamental things of of what it actually means to be human have been have been set aside and a vet said to me recently that um they would never get away uh with treating animals uh the way that uh the nhs has got away with treating human beings and i thought that was very striking and as i thought about it i thought no you're absolutely right it just wouldn't be tolerated i do you know in recent years i have often thought that my dog gets a better service from our vet than we do from the NHS. I mean, you know, I can call them night or day. Um, you know, if there's ever a problem, just bring them in. And, you know, within an hour, they've had x-rays, they've had, you know, all kinds of um, tests that, you know, humans get those same tests, but it all gets done in the one small place it gets done quickly. And I find it slightly absurd that as humans, we have to wait weeks, months for some of these tests well, if, and treatments. Yes, from our NHS, which, of course, you, you know, is not allowed to be criticised at all. Um, I have major, major uh, misgivings about all of that and the deification of the NHS. But you're absolutely right. In fact, let me tell you, let me give you a contrast, two stories. A friend of mine um, told me about a family member who got a new puppy recently. And uh, within a few weeks, they noticed there was something wrong. It wasn't quite peeing properly or whatever it was. Took it to the vet um, and uh, got an examination and brought, got it immediately to have a, a scan. Did a whole bunch of tests, discovered, yes, there was something wrong. One of their kidneys was uh, was uh, enlarged and wrong. So they sent them to the, uh, to the vet hospital uh, in Glasgow and it got looked at and, and so on. And then they said, no, this is a very specialist thing. Uh, the way to deal with this is to send them to the vet hospital in Edinburgh. So off they went to Edinburgh, got seen very quickly, further investigations, uh, then surgery, and then uh, little puppies back and uh, and doing well, all within a space of weeks. Let me contrast to that to uh, a man uh, I was speaking to the other day, a friend of mine in the congregation who has had um, a number of long-standing chronic illnesses and really is quite a a vulnerable sort of person uh, became uh, very uh, unwell with pain in his face which you know if i described it to you for for a few seconds anybody who's got no medical training at all would say oh gosh that sounds like shingles which of course it was um phoned up the gp first time oh it's probably nothing just take paracetamol got worse and worse phoned again another a few days later oh well maybe it's an allergy or something just uh, never mind uh, a third time, same thing. Only after three times did they force force uh, a visit to the surgeon and insist on being seen. Uh, and this is weeks later, at which point they said, goodness, this is the worst case of shingles any of us have ever seen. Now, there's there's a difference between if you're a dog and if you're a human being. And um, I'm afraid that sort of epitomized for me uh, the way things have become. Things have gone upside down <laughs> in our society. And um, I think kind of disconnect drives me insane because I am somebody who has no medical training and if you're telling me somebody's got pain sounds like shingles I'm thinking 
they need Survirac and capsule form as a and if you're telling me that I as an ex-solicitor know that and a GP <laughs> does not know that it's just unreal well you said it but um it's it's <laughs> maybe you it's, should it's, set up a practice <laughs> yeah. but unfortunately you know I could uh, I'm 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 really sad to say that I I could I could sit here for half an hour and talk through similar sorts of things and uh, it's it's that is not that is not because of covid and actually in, in trying to read about other countries I don't think it is the case maybe in some places but I don't think it is the case that in lots of other countries, their entire health systems have have just completely shut down. Um, no, I've heard lots of people from other countries saying it's 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 not like that at all, and there hasn't been that kind of mishandling. And so, you know, this is not to criticise. You see, this is the problem: to criticise the NHS is seen to be criticising all these wonderful people who work in the NHS. That's completely different. I mean, I've worked in the NHS, and most people who actually work in the NHS roll their eyes at the system. It's the whole conglomeration of this behemoth, which is totally mismanaged and yet um, is untouchable because um, because it's been deified. I mean, we were week after week after week, people were out banging their pots and pans and uh, and so on. And it, to the great God NHS, and I was just reminded of of what the, the Apostle Paul talks about when he's writing to the Corinthian church about the banging of gongs and the clashing of cymbals, which is absolutely uh, the mark of the, the, the ancient pagan worship of the, of the idols in the, in the temples. I just thought this is what we're, this is what we're doing. But if I can say, look, none of this should be surprising to a Christian because the Apostle Paul describes in his first letter to the to the Romans, he describes really what is it's another way of describing the story of Genesis chapter three in the rebellion, what we call the, the fall of man. He says that we've turned the truth of God into a lie, and we've exchanged the glory of the mortal God for uh, for created things, and therefore because of that, God. I'm paraphrasing. God says, "Well, all right, that's the way you want it." Um, have it that way but everything else is going to go upside down and the more you do that the more upside down it's going to become and the more you turn truth into lies the more you'll be unable to tell the difference between what is true and what is false and you'll be deceiving yourselves and deceiving others and that's the story of the human race according to uh, the, the, the Christian message and that is the story that is intensified at times in history when God removes his hand of restraint. And we've seen that at times. You know, that is what happened in, in the 1930s in Germany. And that particular expression of evil, it was the evil of, of uh, National Socialism, the Nazi Party and so on. It's what happened behind the Iron Curtain, as we used to call it when I was growing up, uh, with communism and so on. But it's happened repeatedly uh, at different times in history. And I fear that in our Western world, which is now very much a, a, a resolutely post-Christian world, we have glibly and gleefully thrown out um, the Christian foundations 
upon which our whole society, our freedoms, our liberty, our sense of justice, our sense of uh, duty and responsibility and democracy, all of these things are built upon those foundations, but we haven't wanted some of those moral foundations. Problem is, we don't realize that when you knock the foundations out of a building, the rest of the building starts to fall down. And I, I fear that what we're seeing is the inevitable consequence of um, the expulsion of ultimate truth from our from our our society. And that's a very frightening thing to see because um, there's only way one way back from that really, and that is a return to real truth and to real light. And um, there seems to be no appetite for that in our society uh, at the moment. So, you know, I'm a Christian teacher and preacher. Uh, that's how I see it. I, I know others may not see it that way, but I, 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 think, I think people are increasingly asking questions and saying, goodness, what is it that can explain this? And I do think that it's only a Christian worldview that can actually show us um, why and where we are today. I, I, I find what you're saying really interesting because, in a way, I've thought that the loss of Christianity in our society has not been good for our relationship with death. And I think, you know, that has fed into the cycle. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been surprised at is people who... So... COVID, when, to my mind, a true Christian should not fear death and should believe, believe that it's God who decides their fate. I find it very unnerving sometimes that Oh, I've lost you there. You disappeared. Oh, yeah. You hear what I was saying about Christians being so fearful of who say proclaiming to be fearful that trusting in God, they should be trusting in an after death. I do, and uh, I think that is very sad and i i mean i have to set uh, the, the, the blame for that lies in the uh, appalling lack of belief and a lack of leadership in the church it's christian leaders uh who have failed um, as isn't normally the case it, you know the sheep will go astray if the shepherds um are are false and are 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 are, are are not um, doing their duty. I mean, what you say is absolutely right. You put your finger on it. I don't know if you've um, read any of um, Frank Furedi's writings, but I read his book, um, How Fear Works, during last summer, and I find it extraordinary. It was written a few years ago, but honestly, it could have been written uh, all about COVID. And, and I mean, he's, a, he, he, he's not a Christian. I think he's an atheist, but he, he, he recognizes and he, and he talks about um, the fact that the fear of God has been removed from from society. Um, in the past, there was <laughs> there was religion um, which helped to shape people's fear, 
uh, in right directions and not in wrong directions. But when you take away the fear of God, um, you're left with a terrible mess and you start to feel fear all the wrong things. I think in the very first week of the pandemic, I preached on um, Jesus' words in Luke chapter uh, 12, um, where he, he, he says, let me just read it to you. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'll warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Um, and then he goes on to say, are not five sparrows sold for tuppence? And not one of them's forgotten before God. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So fear not. You are of more value than Mary sparrows. So do you see what Jesus is saying there? He says there's things to fear and there's things not to fear. Don't fear things that can merely kill the body. No Christian should be fearing COVID or cancer for that matter. But we should be fearing God because God has our eternal future in his hands. Um, our mortal future is, uh, you know, is going to go down to cancer or heart disease for most of us. COVID for a tiny few and, you know, a few other things. Something of that is going to get us. There's no point in fearing that. But what mm -hmm. we really ought to be concerned about is our eternal future and eternal judgment. But the wonderful thing that he's saying there is, you see, if you fear that God, you find that he's the God who cares even about the sparrows, who numbers the hair on your head. And you don't need to fear anything in this world when you do fear him. Now, you know, my duty and my job as a Christian teacher is to teach people these things, to make sure that every Christian, and indeed as much as I can, everybody in, in the country can hear these words of truth. That's what I wanted the Archbishop of Canterbury to be up speaking on the BBC in the first week of the pandemic, but he disappeared. That's what I wanted uh, national church leaders in Scotland to be up and saying, but they all disappeared. They're all hiding in their kitchen. And when they did come back, all they were saying is, wash your hands, socially distance, <laughs> have a vaccine. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article way back last year for a, 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 the Evangelical Times, um, which I entitled... Um, health and safety or hope and salvation <laughs> you know the church's message is not one of just health and safety in the short term it is a message of hope and salvation that has not been heard in our society at a time of great need and and and, and i'm ashamed of the christian church in our country i'm ashamed on behalf of all of us that that is the case and it's really that sense of shame and the sense of urgency to speak the words that really will help people and give people encouragement and hope that is, has, you know, propelled me to be involved in, in some of these things, in the judicial review and in giving interviews and in writing and, 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 and that sort of thing, because I'm, 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 I'm shocked and I'm ashamed of the Christian church in our country, I'm afraid. And um, I, I take, I'm, I'm partly responsible for that. And I, I, I yeah, we hang our heads in shame. But the, these things need to be heard. And our, our things could have been so, so different. Um, and the fear that's been sown in society, fear is what, is, what, is what enslaves people. It's the truth that liberates, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ above all. But all truth, truth is, and, and, and the government seems to be determined to, to, to enslave people and not to liberate them. I mean, that's what... That's what Laura Dodsworth has shown so um, chillingly in, in, in her book, how fear has been used, weaponized is her word, to, to manipulate populations. You know, I've, 
that's what you see in corrupt religious cults. <laughs> the, 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 I always say to our people, a true church does not try and manipulate you. It doesn't try and force you into do things you're, you don't want to do. A, a, a real Christian church tells you the truth of God and says, this will set you free. Now, you need to take this uh, to heart. But a cult uses fear, it uses manipulation, it pulls rank, it it, it, it uses groupthink, it, it, it does all of these things. And it's felt to me increasingly like um, more and more the population is, 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 is in the grip of a religious cult this last year. I mean, that's a shocking thing to say, but it bears a lot of the hallmarks of that to me. And I think the other thing about cults is usually their members are taken away from their loved ones. They, they lose contact with the outside world. And to my mind, um, you know, whether you believe in God or not, but you only get one life and you have to spend every single day doing your best with the finite time that you have. And so to not have that time with your family, with your friends, and to me, those are the things that matter on earth. And you know, helping one another and being together, I think is truly evil. No, I think you're absolutely right. And actually, that's a very good point about um, about isolating people from former friends and family and, uh, uh, and all of that sort of thing. That is absolutely uh, typical uh, of, of how cults behave. I mean, actually, we had a young lad just quite recently uh, went off to study in London and um, and, and got in the grip of a, a group which really is a is a cult. And by the way, where we got him back was his, his, he, they were trying to separate him from his family. We got him back to his family, and, um, and all of a sudden, you know, sanity seemed to, to to come back. And so, this this social isolation is is so deeply damaging. And again, you know, I obviously <laughs> bring it back to. The Christian theology, because the essence of sin, people, you know, these words now, they become tabloid words and sin is, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. In the Bible, sin, the heart of sin is the destruction and the rupture of relationship. Um, the beginning of sin is the rupture in the relationship between human beings and God. What we were, we were made to relate to God and sin ruptures that relationship. And I think when you, when you, and, 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 and that is the root, therefore, of rupture in all. Relationship rupture is a virus much more contagious than, than SARS-CoV-2. And when you when you breach that fundamental relationship, all others uh, begin to go. And, and, and isolation is the result of that, isolation. And that then, um, the, the more isolation there is, the harder it is to, to, to repair uh, relationship and and relationship is is fundamental to humanity, um, and so that's why lockdown theology, uh, and it is a theology, it's an ideology, is so is so deeply wrong because it is it is fundamentally dehumanizing, and as a matter of fact, you know, so many of the other things are as well. Covering people's faces. Um, oh. Is a is a fundamentally dehumanizing thing. It speaks of it speaks of death. You know, you cover somebody's face with a shroud when they've died. Uh, you, 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 it, it, so many of these things. I always see 
I also think that like the testing and the taking your temperature and everything is very dehumanizing as well. It's like more than a potential disease vector. And this is something that I really find so bizarre that people don't see it. Like submitting to being tested all the time. Who the hell cares? Who cares if you've got a couple of SARS-CoV-2 virus particles in your nose? What, how is that the most important thing in our lives now? We've got schools, our local schools, harassing P7 pupils before they go to secondary. Um, will you agree to doing twice weekly testing next year? It's like, get lost. This is my especially, especially when world. Especially when the test kits that we are using in this country have been banned now by the FDA in the United States and everyone's been told to throw them away because they're so useless. I mean, yeah. honestly... It's, and they've got horrible things. These swabs have horrible chemicals on them. It's like, I have made this solemn pledge to my family, and I really mean it, that they will test my children literally over my dead body now. There will be no circumstances in which I will consent to my children being tested because my children are more than a host for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just so dehumanising. I don't know where people's heads are at and it, uh, actually I, we've got a podcast sitting in the folder it's just needing a bit of editing and it was a woman who's very deeply religious and what she had to say was very interesting about it and it'll um, match up nicely with your podcast I'll try and get it out but you know she was talking about that how people have just become she doesn't know if it's this transhuman agenda or what, but it literally is like we've taken the sanctity of the human out of ourselves. Well, the church can't even be bothered to say anything about it. Well, you know, it, 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 but you see, th this is why we need the Christian church because um, it all comes back. It all comes back down to, to fundamentals. As human beings are are created uniquely in the image of God they are different we are different from every other um created thing and there is a sanctity because we bear the image of god now we bear a vitiated image because of human rebellion and uh you know that's what i'm saying sin we we, we are francis schaeffer a great theologian i think captured it wonderfully where he said man is a ruin but he is a glorious ruin um, there is, and that and that explains our world. You see, you know, the the the, the ultra liberal mindset can't get its head around human sinfulness and won't reckon that, and reckons that everybody deeply in, in deep down is a very good person. Well, that just doesn't wash with reality, and and um, you know, it's just not true. Um, but we don't need to go to the opposite extreme and say, well, everybody is utterly as bad as they could be. The Christian doctrine of total depravity doesn't mean that at all. It means that there's no part of our being that isn't tainted with uh, what is wrong, that is sinful and imperfection. Um, but we are we we are a ruin, but we are a glorious ruin because the image of God uh, remains in us, and that is what accounts for the beauty, the creativity, the loveliness, the 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 wonder of of, of human beings, the extraordinary good. So it's not only it, all human beings um, share the image of God, not just those who are Christians. I would say that Christians are those who have come to understand the truth about it. But everybody bears the image of uh, of God. And we've all got a dark side. We've all got um, uh, sin. 
we've all we're, our natures are ruined but we 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 are we are uniquely made in the image of god and therefore that's the whole basis of um our care and concern for the sanctity of life for human dignity and and, and for preservation of life so you know of course well it's been it was the christian church that campaigned against abortion against infanticide that developed um uh, palliative care that uh, you know was a great force uh, for good in medicine because it specifically understood these things but people instinctively understand that because they haven't completely lost all uh, all truth and all understanding of uh, 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 of the uniqueness of uh, of human beings but that is what we seem to be at the moment pushing against and we're losing that sense that there's something precious and it's more than just cell cultures and bits of muscle and tissue and all the rest of it. We've been reduced down to the same level as the virus. It's us in a battle against the virus as though we were just a big virus. But we are in a totally different order of creation to viruses. Um, uh, and it's not just a, a naturalistic, you know, biological evolutionary battle here. Um, there's something far, far greater. And people understand that deep down. That's why the separation in, 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 in these lockdowns has been so painful and so damaging. That's why um, so many kids are suffering depression and there's an epidemic of eating disorders among uh, teenagers, uh, all sorts of things like this. It's, it's because something fundamental is being destroyed. Congregation. Have, you, have you seen um, the young in your congregation? congregation being so badly affected I, I i think i think our young folk have done better than most because we've worked very very hard to um to counter that and to provide for them and to do what i think many have not done we 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 uh, but yes, I think there has been. I mean, I don't want to go into. I don't want to talk too specifically about about you know about people in my own congregation, obviously, <clears throat> publicly like that. But I would I would say uh, yes, and I would say among many contacts that I've got, among many other ministers who I speak to, they're all saying the the same thing. There's been yes, they've they've been badly affected. Which is why we've pushed to to continue as many activities as possible in person, um, and we have been willing to um, go against some of the guidelines. We haven't broken the law, but we've kept regulations. But we have we have um, we have made our own judgments as to what we think is the most important priorities um, uh, for people's well-being in the in the most holistic sense. And I think we've protected our young people better than many have been. But even then, um, it's been a pretty grim year for uh, for, for some of them, and, and you know, some in particular. I think I think across the board, where there have been children and adolescents who have who have already got difficulties of various kinds, this has accentuated them enormously. I think that's yeah. uh, that's undeniable. Yeah. Well, thank you for for talking to us. Um, I think it's been really interesting to hear from a Christian perspective it today. Is. I feel like I, I don't want to um, end it, but I have to go and pick my children up from school. And uh, it's because, as I say in this other podcast, which I'm going to publish shortly, I feel like I am spiritually 
starving just now. <laughs> so it's very nice to speak to somebody who is able to offer some nourishment on that front because I really miss church and being involved with the church and things, but I just can't forgive them for the way they've conducted themselves. The Church of Scotland I'm speaking about now. Um, well, I don't want to I don't want to get into particularities of that, but I do want to say if you want to listen in to what we say, uh, uh, we are simply bringing the message from the Bible every Sunday. You, we've got online church, much as I'm against that as the main thing, but uh, we're meeting in person. If you want to, if you want to listen, if you want to listen in, you want spiritual nourishment, uh, Tron dot church, and you'll find our online church portal there. We live stream and we've got lots of recordings as well, and we'd be delighted okay. for anybody to do that. Brilliant. We will put that on the link to on the notes for the podcast here. Thank you so much, William. It's been wonderful to speak to you today. Thank you for my, your time. My pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Take care and hopefully hear from you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for more spiritual nourishment from Reverend Philip, who is a very deep thinker, clearly, you can join him at tron.church. That's T-R-O-N dot church for one of his live Sunday services. We'll see you again next time.